bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. This podcast is where I share people's incredible transformations after making the switch to a whole food plant-based diet. I recorded this episode almost three weeks ago now. Um, So if things have changed globally, that is why if I'm not mentioning some major development that's happened in the world that I should feel like I should be mentioning. It is just that this wasn't recorded in the last two and a half weeks. So forgive me if I'm missing it. It's just just the way it is with how I can put episodes out and content out around being at home with my children. So this is as good as I could do. So if things have changed, I apologise for not discussing it in this introduction. This week on the show, we have Aaron Calder, who is from the website and Instagram account Aaron Calder Vegan and AaronCalderVegan.com. So you can head over to Instagram and follow Aaron Calder. So double A R O N C A L D E R V E G A N at Instagram and AaronCalderVegan.com is his website where he puts out all kinds of great things. But here in this episode, I found this episode really filled with vulnerability. It was really open and honest and raw. And on a subject we haven't covered before in depth, and that is liver cirrhosis caused by significant alcohol abuse. And Aaron was so... It's just so brutally honest in this episode about his behaviour, about his alcoholism, about how he hid his alcoholism and how the lies that he told throughout his alcoholism to himself and to others and the impact, the overall impact and the, and the minor impacts that it had in his life, to his life and to his health and to his relationship and it touched me deeply, um, if I'm honest. I, I've i never experienced an addiction to alcohol or, or drugs before. I know that my food addiction has its own, has caused its own health concerns for me and it's caused its own difficulties and self-esteem and depression and it, it impacted on me in so many different ways as if you've had an issue with food, you may be able to relate the way that it can be, it sneaks in and damages your life in anywhere from minute ways all the way through to major, major chronic illness, such as my own multiple sclerosis and obesity and the issues that go along with obesity and the lying and the hiding food and sneaking food and overeating. And there is a lot that goes on about socially isolating ourselves. The list goes on. And the same was occurring, but far, 
far more problematic and dangerous for Aaron Calder in in many ways. Although when you look at many of the guests on our show and you with, that have come on the show talking about the food addiction, again, um, when we think about food addiction and alcoholism like being vastly different, they both have mortality. They both cause premature death for a whole host of reasons and are both, I think, almost equally serious. However, Aaron's story did really, oh, gave me, oh, gave me chest, gave me, gave me a pain in my heart. I felt the pain and the deep sadness and grief and fear that he must have been going through and the anxiety and turmoil. I really, really found this episode really, really powerful and emotional. And I'm just so thankful that Aaron sharing this, especially right now, when around the world more people than ever are drinking more than they have before or taking up drinking for the first time. And, you know, what Aaron has gone through, I hope is a really great teacher for many people who, who need to hear his message and to hear his lived experience with alcoholism. Uh, it's really, really powerful and profound and I look forward to you listening to it. So thank you for listening and tuning in this week and, yeah, sit back. It's not an easy listen but it's a really important listen, especially if you have someone in your family who you think may benefit from listening to this or you yourself are maybe yet to face your own issues with alcohol consumption or excessive alcohol consumption. I hope that Aaron helps you to re- uh, people to realise that alcoholism isn't, like food addiction, we are set up to fail so often in our communities and in our culture. So I really don't want this episode to cause anyone to feel shame, especially not Aaron to feel shame. These stories about food addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, sex addiction, gambling, we have a really broken society that that fails to support the vulnerable and people in need and people who don't appear to be vulnerable but are still in need. We don't do well at vulnerability, at connection, at nurturing, at forgiveness, at taking care of ourselves, at asking for help, at, at meeting people where they're at and saying, hey, it's okay to be in a really, really crappy place. You're still a worthwhile human who deserves love and tenderness and care and compassion. I hope this episode, if you're listening and you are struggling to forgive yourself for some behaviours that have hurt others and have hurt yourself and have caused pain and suffering, that you can take some hope in hearing Aaron's story and in hearing our words and realising that you're not alone and you're not so broken that you're unlovable and that you're not so broken that things can't turn around for you. Because Aaron was very, very, and is very, very sick still as a result of his alcoholism, but things are so much better for him than they were now and if you're in a hard place 
There's 151 stories on this show from people who have been in really, really dire situations and who have potentially all done things that they regret whilst in really dark spaces. When we're in dark spaces, we're not our best selves. We're doing the best with the resources that we have. So if you're in a really dark space and you're struggling to be the best, most brightest beacon of hope and kindness in the world, maybe you just need some first. You need to fill your cup with love and kindness and compassion before you can pour it out to others. And I know for myself that was the case, you know. The more I gave back to myself and forgave myself and nurtured myself and put the right foods in my body and moved my body and meditated and the more I felt better, the more resources I had to give back to others, to my community, to my relationships and to work my ass off to be a better person. And that's what Aaron's doing. That's what all the guests on this show are doing. We're not perfect people. We're flawed humans who are just trying to be better in every moment. And you can too. And you deserve that chance. I love you. Everyone, listen to Aaron's story and share it with everyone because it's such, a, such an important, important story for everyone to hear. Thanks for listening. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm all considering. It's very hard to, I don't know how to answer that in stage three lockdown in a global pandemic, but... I feel okay in this moment. How about you? Yeah, it's, it's getting a bit boring now. Um, I've been working from home, um, but it's it could be a lot worse. But I just think it's now. It's all, I just sort of want things to return to normal a bit more, if you know, as normal as possible. Yeah, yeah. I think I think everyone would probably agree with you. It's hard. You want things to go back to normal, but you also want people to. There's there's some learnings in this. I feel that I feel like we need to learn about our consumption and the way we kind of just yeah over consume in the world like resources and petrol and we go out and we don't really appreciate I like the the sense that we're slowing down and appreciating simple things more without having to just constantly be on the move churning through fuel and yeah <laughs> polluting the planet but I do also miss being able to see my parents and be able to you know work and do things that I also liked doing. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, yeah, there's lots of, it's a complex, complex thing that I haven't, haven't wrapped my head around and won't won't pretend that I have at this moment. No, you've got to take something positive from it, though, haven't you? Otherwise, it's the whole thing's just going to be a bad pop experience in life. Mm, mm. So you've been working, so that's great. I'm glad that you've still been able to maintain your job throughout this. And where are you in the world? I'm in Brighton in the UK. Oh, I've never been, but it sounds nice. By the coast. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. Yeah? Is it that the beach is close to you? Yeah, about 20 minutes drive, not too far. Oh, that's lovely. Is it like, can you swim there much of the year or is it, in my mind, it's always cold? Yeah, it's cold a lot. And if it was hot, you probably wouldn't want to swim in the sea because it's not very clean. Oh. So. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Bummer. So I guess what I would, what, what we're all wanting to know is your story. So we've 
read the title of this episode and we're just wanting to hear how it all began for you, if you wouldn't mind beginning at the beginning and sharing all of it with us, but obviously leaving out, you know, we can't have, we can't be here all day, but <laughs> as much <laughs> as much as you think is important for us, we, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm not sure where to start. Shall I start um, when I was having problems with alcohol? And Yeah. So how about, I like to think of it as like signposts. So when, when, like, was it, was it, in childhood, like when did you start to be notice that, you know, either you were your relationship with food or alcohol was not the typical, not the stand, you know, not the standard relationship with food or alcohol? Uh, I think when I was younger, I noticed I when I drank, it was always for confidence. That was the only reason I, I drank, not not for the enjoyment of it or, or for the taste. Um, and I it wasn't until someone said, you know, why don't you do you not enjoy, you know, a nice glass of wine? And and, the, you know, and then I realized that I was, you know, most people probably actually do enjoy having a glass of wine, enjoying the, the tastes, um, not so much the feeling of, um, you know, confidence or getting drunk and not being able to stop. And that was probably the first time I actually thought about my uh I would never I didn't call it an addiction but sort of like a bit like binge drinking or I could never stop I I would always drink even when I was like 18 or 17 and I was going out to clubs and things I would drink before I left the house I would drink in the car or on the train on the way there then in the club or in the bars um, until I just drunk to the point where I would pass out and then for the rest of the week I wouldn't drink at all uh, this is years and years ago so I didn't see that as a problem um, in fact you could offer me alcohol through the week and if I wasn't going out I would say no so it was socializing so it was really like as you say it was for confidence not for the taste so you ha- at home you're in your comfort zone you're in your nice safe place but then when you're going out like to make friends or meet a mate or something that you're like I need alcohol to be a buffer for this experience yeah and it's so easy it's just it's always like readily available uh on television on uh soaps and films it's they just make it look like it's a a normal part of life um i've been watching the um rewrite well the remake of um dynasty on netflix and they're always you know if they they get stressed they always reach for the the glass of scotch and they've you know it could be in the morning or they drink champagne and it's and then i know that's it's fictional but when you're growing up seeing stuff like that you just think of it as as normal or you think of when you have a bad experience in life or or you're feeling a bit low that you'd have a drink um, it's a bit sort of, I suppose it's a bit like social conditioning that you just see it there all the time and just think it's acceptable. And then you're always told that, you know, an alcoholic, someone that's uh, on a park bench or, you know, down and out or ill in hospital, um, you never think you're going to be that person. Yeah. It's interesting because like, like you said, when I grew up, there would have been a lot of men in particular at that age, you know, 17, 18, like women were doing it as well, but I I noticed more severe consequences, I guess, from when the men would get so drunk. And like you say, because they, people didn't drink, tend to drink during the week, 
I had this friend once, like an older guy who was dating my my best friend at the time, and he, like you said, he just started drinking really early in the evening. He used to do it on, on Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Friday, Saturday, he would drink in excess. And I remember one night he drank until he gave himself alcohol poisoning, and he had a tremor, which like a, like a tick, like a, tr- like a tremor and like a tick. He was hospitalized. And for about, I want to say a month or two months, he would like without, what's the word? Automatically like be bowing. Like we would joke and say, oh, you know, thank you. <laughs> like was, he would just be, <laughs> his body would bend, buckle over like, yeah. a, like a tick. For two months, at least, I think one to two months. Like, I'm, it's been a long time. Like, that was 25 years ago. But I just remember all of us being like, I was just blown away that you you could damage yourself in that way where you were convul- convulsing without, you were just convulsing for well, whatever that is, a, a full body yeah. tick repeatedly for two months' time. I never knew that yeah, was possible. I, I had similar things. I had um, my partner was away uh, one weekend, so I just drank um, over the weekend really heavily watching films. And then on the uh, the Sunday, uh, his family came round, and I was sober in the day and I couldn't even make a cup of tea or make a coffee. I was trying to prepare dinner because I just kept shaking and it was just so weird. And it was because I'd I literally drunk myself silly for a few days and then it was um, your body sort of having withdrawal symptoms and yeah. it's uh, it's quite frightening. So that tremor, that, it's called they call it the DTs, don't they? Drunken tremors. Yeah. But is that yeah. is that what he was having? Because it was his whole his whole body was like lurching, like he was bowing, like he would just fold in half and then stand back up and fold in half and stand back up, like he was taking a bow. It, it, possi- I, it could have been a, a tremor. It could have been that maybe he damaged, you know, his body and it was reacting or something. Or maybe like a, I don't know, maybe like a, a reflex from from damage he'd done. It was, but yeah, I I I did know about this the shaking, and that's just. How did you feel that day? Was your partner like, oh my gosh, I'm never leaving you again? <laughs> Look at you. But as as always, um, I would hide it, play it down, said that I didn't feel very well. Uh, I remember I, I said I was going to go and lay down and I went into the bedroom and was sort of walking around in circles trying to like shake it off I suppose get the adrenaline going wondering what it was and the only way to get rid of it um, is medication or more alcohol I don't think I was going to drink that day and I thought oh, I'm going to have some some wine and and then I drank faster than I usually would to try and stop this reaction um, you know and then you're you're back into being drunk again when you said you wasn't going to drink and you know it's it's self-medicating because you you've got yourself in that position of, of having a reaction and a, you know a tremor um you have to drink for your body to to sort itself out your body becomes very re- reliant on alcohol it's if you have it quite often it it starts to use it as a form of calories so it's when you stop having it your body reacts thinking hang on I've you know I've got used to having this all the time why you know why is he he stopped giving it to me and, and then all these sort of chemical reactions start happening. Um, I didn't realise as well that, that um, you can sort of uh, come off many drugs, but alcohol is the only one, or so, so I've been told, it's the only one that you can um, die from. You have to have, um, you know, special treatment when coming off of it. 
um, otherwise your body can go into shock. I've, I've actually heard of people that have, have had um, fits and died. You know, they've tried to stop drinking and, you know, been found dead the next day. And it's very, very frightening. So frightening. And so frightening for the individual. You know, when you want to stop something but and you want to do it less, but it has, like, I know just mild people who, people who are addicted to caffeine and they say, like, if I don't have my coffee, I get a migraine. But with this, if you're shaking when you don't have it and you're having such a physiological response, it would be, you'd be stuck in this, that's a real catch-22 where you're like, I don't want to drink anymore, but these these symptoms, these side effects of not drinking are, would just be so hard to manage and hard to deal with, especially when the risks are, as you say, are your mortality. If If you're in a seriously dire relationship with alcohol, like that's pretty, it's pretty hard to to fathom really from for me and I I I I I not I know that it's not for some of my listeners won't relate to this but there's many 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 this this alcoholism is not an uncommon you know disease and the problem is that right now in a pandemic people's alcohol use is going up more than possibly any time in our yeah history of that humans can recall prior to the last pandemic when alcohol consumption would have gone through the roof as well yeah. I, I was reading as well that, that people they can't go to their meetings because you know they've been stopped so so you know there's there could be someone that had been reliant on a, an AA meeting for 10 years keeping them sober that now can't go and mm. you know relapse because of it yeah it's really frightening so I'm really grateful that you're here talking to us because there will be people listening who are having a, a really hard time and I'm sorry if I, I have a nervous laugh and it's not a laugh that I'm laughing at someone's situation. I just, I just from my own tr- trauma, I formed a nervous laugh. So please don't take my laugh as minimizing what's gone on for you. Or if you're listening and you're thinking, why does, why does she keep laughing awkwardly? Sometimes people call me on it and say, like, what's wrong with you? Why are you laughing? And I just, I just can't help what my face does in bad situations because of my own, my own bad things that have happened. I've had to. I formed a nervous laugh tick, so please forgive me. Yeah, I didn't even notice, so don't worry. Okay, good, good. So what happened then for you? So you, your partner, I'm sure, surely in your relationship that would have been just a nightmare as well because he's you're hoping not to drink that day and now you're drunk in front of his parents again. Yeah, it was, I think when you're younger and you get drunk, people just say, oh, he's had one too many and they laugh it off and you, and you can get away with that to a certain point. I didn't say when I started working in uh, London when I was 18, um, that's when alcohol was just everywhere. Um, so every time I went out or would socialise, that everyone would be like, would you like a glass of wine? Um, and I used to say no. And then I started to say yes. And then that that's probably when I really sort of became not dependent, but I, you know, it, I did enjoy drinking. It was, you know, it was good because it, it stops you being nervous. It helps you socialise. Um, and I guess like, like things like red wine, I did enjoy the taste. You know, and it's and you know when people sit down and have a drink and a meal, it's you know it can be funny. And if you say, oh no, I don't want to drink, and they say, oh come on, just have one, and it's easier. Um, and and then that sort of went on from me going to see people taking wine with me just in case they weren't going to offer any. Um, or having some before I went, um, and then it just it just becomes like you know, a whole big part of your life. 
so over the so when I was drinking more and more um probably five days a week uh, only in the evenings but it was you know a bottle of wine um which to me I didn't see that as a problem but as you say about my partner we've been together for 20 years and it was um you know he was the one that would sometimes come down and find me um passed out on the sofa he would say the next day oh you know you were doing this and I wouldn't have realized and I thought I was acting normally and you know I'd have blackouts and things like that so so he really went through it and it did cause a you know a lot of problems between us but then I would just say oh, I'm stressed at work or you know everyone drinks and you know it's not a problem yeah it's it's such a difficult thing, especially when the culture as you say like our culture rewards it over and over again you know it's it's almost you feel as someone who's never formed an adult relate adult taste buds so I never really got, <laughs> got the memo about alcohol tasting nice um I don't mind a bit of red wine every now and again but it's very rare and so people when you say to people like I'm not I, I don't need to have a drink and you do I feel as though they immediately like knock off like a fit like, if it was like a scale of your if out of zero to ten fun person's ten and a <laughs> non-drinker you immediately slide the dial down to like yeah she's about a three she's about a three for sure and they're all, they're instantly judging you aren't they aren't they and you think oh what are they thinking about me yeah so that was um I'm skipping ahead here, but that that was when I stopped drinking. I'd be I drunk for my whole, you know, probably from 17 uh, up until seven years ago when I had to stop. Um, so I had to change my whole life. And you know, when people say, "Do you want a drink?" you know, I had to come up with excuses. Say I was on medication, say I didn't feel well, all these different things. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, a year or so ago when I actually decided to to be more open about it that you'd be surprised that people you know I think people relate to it as well I think sometimes people think oh maybe I drink a bit too much or I shouldn't have drunk as much or perhaps I shouldn't be you know offering alcohols you know as readily as I have been when I have guests around. So how long has it been since you stopped and what was the catalyst for you to stop? It was a progressive thing where I would drink a lot in the evenings um, and then some mornings I wouldn't feel great. So I would have a little drink in the morning, which again, I, I didn't see being as it being an issue, a, a little bit of vodka in, in an orange juice. Um, looking Saying that now sounds crazy, but at the time I didn't think it was bad. And that would just make me feel normal. It would stop any shakes. It would stop me feeling sick. It would make me feel more alert. It would make me. It would stop depression. And then I might top myself up here and there throughout the day. But of course, with anything, any substance, you need more and more. Um, so over a period of, I think maybe it was about three years, I was drinking more and more to the point where I was drinking. You know, I was drinking till I passed out at night. Uh, I was waking up, and the th- uh, the first thing I the wor- when I was at my worst, the first thing I would do would be to drink vodka neat out the bottle on an empty stomach. Um, I would then throw up um, continuously. Um, so then I would drink more until I stopped throwing up. Uh, it was like it was almost like I had to like my body was rejecting it. And then as soon as some of it got into my body that I wasn't throwing up, my body started feeling normal. And then I could drink more and more. And then I would feel fine. I would go to work. On reflection I think a lot of people did notice but I held down a, a you know a full-time job for for ages you know it's, it's frightening that it I suppose I was a, a functioning 
drinker. I, I, I can't imagine. I hate throwing up. I cannot imagine starting every day throwing up and having to drink neat vodka until I stopped throwing up. Yeah, it's crazy. That is just. I, I don't. I don't. I don't mean to say that in a way that makes you feel ashamed because I don't think it. It. It's a thing that you should feel ashamed of because I do think, as I said, that with our when we already have self-esteem problems and then the alcohol is so celebrated, it's just such an, an, an e, it's just so understandable how people, young people can fall into an addiction to any substance, really, smoking, alcohol, sex, yeah. whatever it is, because most of us get broken along the way in our life. We start to feel like we're, we're the one person who's completely flawed and hopeless and no one should like us. And then there's all these things around saying, you know, drink the alcohol, take the drugs, smoke the weed, have a cigarette, yeah. you know. like. And you're thinking, well, it can't be worse than the feeling I'm having right now, which is that I'm just horrible and no one should, would like me or talk to me if I wasn't high or smoking or drunk. Yeah, or- I couldn't. I couldn't leave the house unless I'd had a drink, like physically, not not through through confidence or anything. I literally would be shaking. I couldn't pick stuff up because my hands would trem like like tremors. Is this is this is this from nerves? Just from nerves? This it wasn't from nerves. It was from uh, withdrawal, alcohol, oh, withdrawal. alcohol withdrawal. So as soon as I I had a drink, I would act like a normal person, and that was the frightening thing. And that's when I really became dependent. Um, going back to when you said when did it all sort of really sort of go downhill obviously you can't do that without having problems um i again i i hid it really well i used to put eye drops in my eyes to to, to hide the you know to whiten them to hide the redness so i used to put a little bit of makeup on my face to like hide the redness and i used to put sort of creams on that were meant to get rid of puffiness and things like that all these little things that would make me look as normal as possible, uh, always well presented and you know nice ironed clothes, and so people might so people might look at me and think, oh, he looks drunk, and then they might think, well, no, he can't be look, you know, he's well presented, and, you know, things like that. It, it was all a big. It was so, when, on looking back, it was such a big effort. Everything was an effort from waking up to hiding the alcohol to drinking it to, you know the whole thing i don't know how i did my i did it for probably about over a year of drinking every day um and as and now at the sort of looking back it's obviously a thing i really really regret but now i look at that and think well if i can do something put so much effort into something so negative and get away with it for so long like it shows the potential if i turn that around into something positive and put all that or half that energy into something else um what i could achieve you know if i can achieve living life and seeing people and then not even knowing that I've, I was absolutely, you know, had a hot bottle of uh, vodka, you know, I can change that and put the, the effort yeah. into something else. Yeah. So how long before you, like when you started drinking at 17, how long did this go for in your life? What was this period? How long was this period of time? As I say, it was, it was progressive. So it went on for years of having glasses of wine at night that would turn into, you know, two or three nights a week, and then that'd be like five nights a week, and then that would go on to having half a bottle of wine and a bottle of wine. Uh, I know people have, uh, can drink a lot more, but I would normally drink about a bottle and a half of wine in the evening, and that then I would pass out, and then I wouldn't drink the next day. I'd feel, you know, I wouldn't feel well, and I'd drink loads of water and try and get myself sort of 
ready again and i would think you know for the whole day i would think right i'm not going to drink today i'm not going to drink today and then it would come to like six or seven o'clock in the evening and i think oh, i'm going to have a drink just one or two and then again and, and that whole um circle would go on again um and i did go through some periods where i didn't drink at all for months i would go to the gym i was really healthy then something would happen and i would just slip completely back into that that negative spiral downward spiral again um of drinking you know I, I was going to the gym i had a personal trainer i had you know my body was in amazing shape and then i went to uh, portugal and i thought oh, i would just have a couple of glasses of wine when i came back from portugal i was complete you know i was there for about a week and a half i was a complete mess i drunk every day you know I'd, I'd ruined months in the gym of all of my hard work and and then and then you think to yourself oh you know uh, I've ruined all that hard work. I may as well just carry on drinking now, and it, it's such a horrible thing. So yeah, so it, it went on for for many years. It was when I hit around thirty that's when I was drinking every day, and then as I say, over time it it did get worse. Um, I used to hide it. I used to, you know, I I would drink. I'd have a bottle of uh, vodka hidden under the bed. Uh, on the top of the cupboard in my guinea pigs hutch in their bedding area uh, in the tumble dryer at the back of cupboards in my car under my car in bushes just and quite often I would um, be doing something and find the bottle and I think I don't even remember hiding that there and I, and I would think oh that's a bonus you know <laughs> I don't have to go and buy any more alcohol <laughs> I found a bottle now but it, yeah it was terrible and I, I when I would I would go out as well and I wasn't because this is when obviously people had realized it was a problem um, and I had to really try and hide it so if we were going out and I knew that I couldn't take a bottle of vodka with me because it's obviously someone's going to see it um, I bought like a little um, tin decanter thing um, you know like like a small that uh, I can't think what it, a flask and would fill that up uh, I would drink loads before, as much as I could before we left to sort of top myself up and then drink, you know, go to the toilet, have a little drink, a uh, breath mint to hide the uh, hide the smell of alcohol. So how was that? Like that, that's when like your friends and your partner all knew and so you were... Yeah, people, people uh, my manager at work took me aside a few times and said, we've had some customers and some staff say that they've smelled alcohol on you. Um, they was noticing me being late, me looking ill. Um, yeah, that's what, you know, I couldn't, as much as I tried to hide it, it got to the point that I couldn't. And again, I would I would lie and say, oh, no, I haven't had it. Or I'd go to work and, and then someone would say, oh, have you been drinking? And I'd say, oh, you know what, I had some last night and it's probably, you can probably still smell that on me. Um, just make up a line um, to get away with it. And then it was my health I suddenly started um, obviously I was being sick most mornings um, and then I got very puffy uh, in my face and my ankles probably the worst thing or one of the, the biggest things was my ankles started to swell up which was gout uh, I didn't think that was serious but apparently gout's really serious um, and I, I, I left it and left it carried on drinking to the point where um, I sometimes couldn't walk I would be crawling along the floor at home if we went out I would be standing there and I'd be sort of like um swaying um so and then I would say oh I've been on my feet all day 
uh, my legs are shaking because you know I've, I've got no energy and I'd need to sit down but it wasn't it's was because basically what happened was I'd, I'd messed up my liver so much that it wasn't able to function normally and the blood supply to my uh, legs and other organs was all um, sort of restricted so I wasn't getting the nutrients I wasn't getting you know hydration properly and things like that so you know everything started going downhill so when you noticed those things happening did you go to a doctor or like what ha- where did you go from that realization that, oh gosh you know I can't stand I have gout I'm actually significantly health my health being significantly compromised by my alcoholism my partner took me to hospital and they they knew instantly they said that I'd got yellow eyes that it was gout and they started asking about my drinking um, and I, I lied and said you know I didn't have a problem and that I did drink but I, I thought I said I think it's stress from work that's caused it anything but alcohol did your partner know you were that you were lying or was your partner lying? yeah yeah I think I think obviously he had an idea and family had an idea but again I would lie so be so convincing in my lies that I think part of them would think well maybe he is telling the truth um it was it was awful because I had to become that person to carry on drinking just to to survive um and in the hospital they did lots of tests and they said that they wanted to keep me in and I said I would think about it and I told my partner they said I can go home so I lied again and went home again thinking I can I can sort this out myself and then not around sort of that period work actually said you know we know something's wrong Uh, we're giving you a couple of weeks off to sort yourself out you can go home you know get some help Um, and I went home just carried on drinking um, and you know it got worse and then I was I was hospitalized I feel like in our society we have this thing that people should only behave good people behave good and that's it yeah and bad people behave bad and yeah and that's it and it helps us think that you know everyone that we know that's good we're good everyone knows good and they just do good things and they don't lie and everyone that's bad is just a bad person. But it's not yeah. that black and white. It's just not that black no. and white because good people, when they're broken and hurt and they have an addiction to a substance that's designed, everyone knows is highly addictive. We behave, you know, if, we're tra- if we're traumatized, if we're depressed, if we're sad, if we have mental health problems, there are so many, if, you know, if we're going through a chronic illness or whatever it is, or our relationships, there's work problems. There are so many reasons that a person who otherwise would, in any other circumstance, would behave in a way that is moral and decent. In this particular context, when you have an alcohol, you're dependent on alcohol in a way that you feel really, really ill when you don't have it. And you form that dependency for a host of reasons that possibly many of it's probably just subconscious, you know, subconscious and hard to hard to even bring up to the surface when you're so deep in your addiction. I, I, I just wanted to stress here that people can people can lie and do all kinds of things and still be good people who are just not behaving great at the, in that moment because I've done some terrible shit and I don't and I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm a good person who in those times I didn't have the resources to make a better decision. And I need, I deserved forgiveness and it's taken me a long, I'm still forgiving myself for the things that I've done that have hurt people and have broken trusts and relationships. But 
I know that I did the best in that moment. And I think it's good to really consider people that in those moments when they're not behaving their best, maybe they can't. This is the best that they can in that time and maybe just offer them some grace and understanding and compassion rather than condemnation. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to just wanted to best clarify that because I think it's something that when you're talking about lying, people get very <gasps> stuck in their chest when people say that they're lying to your loved ones and to your long-term partners. It's hard for people to hear because we don't want to think about our partners doing that, but our partners are humans and people are human. And sometimes when we're in up against a wall, we don't make the best choices. And that doesn't mean that we're the worst people. It just means that right in that moment, we couldn't do any better than what we did. Yeah. It's funny you should say that because uh, my mom wrote me a letter when I was in hospital uh, saying that she felt like I'd always tried to be perfect and that maybe too much pressure was put on me to be perfect. And I was kind, um, you know, and as you say, it's, it's okay sometimes to mess up. You know, I, I always wanted to be the best at everything and project sort of my my image as you know perfect and uh hated being judged and people talking about me in a negative way so I was always trying so hard to be the person I thought I should be but you can't you know that's one thing I've I've come to realize um and drink again drinking alcohol was a lot of people would say to me you're gonna have a drink tonight and I'd say oh no I don't think I will and they'd be like oh you're so much fun when you we've had a drink I'll go on and then I think oh okay then and you know it's 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 difficult. Whereas now I, I'm, it, it, I would admit now I'm very selfish sometimes. Um, like when we when we go out and see friends, I'll quite often I'll leave early, um, or if there's something I don't want to do, I'll say no. And that I know some people will think, oh, he's not a particularly nice guy, or he's selfish, or you know, how can he be? How can he be like that? But that's what I have to do, because if I because if I don't do it, that's sort of opening up a gateway that could let something negative in so when I go out and I don't drink and I say I'm you know I'm gonna go home now normally I would stay out drinking all night I'd probably be like one of the last ones to go to bed but because I don't have the alcohol and the, and the drink I sort of um have to have that sort of control I suppose that's my control and that, I'm, that I would I would want to leave early or do what I want to do. Yeah, I don't think that that's selfish. When you've gone through what you've gone through, when you when you really came really close to losing everything from your from your disease, I feel like going home when you know that this substance is a substance that like I have a food issues with food, which is completely serious, but not as serious as alcoholism. And if I'm in a place where there's just I know there's going to be tons of food that I, past Corinne, cannot stop shoving into my face because of my anxiety and my social awkwardness. I don't want to go to the party. Like if there's foods that yeah. I know that I am triggered by, that, that that I know are like cakes and pastries and sweets and things that I used to. Thankfully, I managed, going vegan for the animals was helpful to me because once it, that ruled out tons of things that I couldn't eat. So I was now I'm like, oh, well, thankfully that, that, that food's there, but I'm not, I don't eat that for the animals. Before when I was just doing it for my own health yeah. and well-being, <laughs> when I was just doing it for my own multiple sclerosis, I'd be like, ah, this once won't hurt, rah, 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 you know, shove it in my face. <laughs> It was much easier when I made the like, okay, I'm not doing it for these vulnerable creatures. Not, not. It was easier to make that choice. Yeah, the trouble is, I used, I um, lost a lot of weight when I first went vegan, 
um, because when I was out and about, there wasn't a lot of choice. But now there's so much choice. It's like curse them in the choices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, normally they'd be like, "Would you like a cake?" And I'd be like, "Oh no, because it's got milk in it." Be like, "No, no, this one hasn't." You're like, "Oh damn, okay." <laughs> I know. It literally when I was first changed it was I lost heaps of weight like you and then they added into more things that I wanted to try them and that that was a slippery dip and now I'm still digging myself out of the <laughs> digging myself out of that <laughs> problem with all of the newfound vegan foods that aren't necessarily health promoting healthy yeah that's the trouble isn't it finding the balance of um yeah. not trying to eat rubbish one day and good maybe the next yeah so i know we've been in a really big deep dive into into your drinking but let's let's dig ourselves out and into the light again so when you did start to get help like how long how many years had passed since things had gotten really really bad for you and and how did you uh, take what was the first step towards your healing uh i won't talk too much about it but i just i in that period when I was slowly drinking um, more than I should, I did speak to my manager at the time about it, saying I thought I drank too much. And he said, I don't think you do. You drink the same as me. It's not a problem. I went to an, an AA meeting as well one evening. Um, and again, everyone there had worse issues than me. So I thought that's not not a problem. I had hypnotherapy twice um, to try and control me so I could have a drink and stop myself at a certain point. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't like I hadn't tried um, over this period to sort of sort myself out. But when I was drinking um, at my worst, um, I didn't actually help myself. I was actually ill, were vomiting blood. So I had no choice at that point. I was taken to hospital um, and they that's when the hospital sort of took control um and decided to detox me um told me if i ever drank again that i would die um and the first few days in i mean I, I still have nightmares about it all the time now it was it was absolute hell i couldn't i had so many wires and tubes and things i couldn't i could barely move i couldn't go to the toilet without help um I, my legs were so bad that i was sort of paralyzed i kept I remember i kept saying oh can i um go and have a shower Think, and I just thought I could get up and go and have a shower and then I'd try and move and I couldn't even move my legs because my body was so so messed up but but what what had happened was and um, I think it's important for people listening one one of the reasons that I want to be more open about it is because obviously we've talked about my journey up until this point so I, I think there's people listening thinking oh that sounds like me now you know that sounds like I could be going down that road so I want to help people um see those signs um and maybe not necessarily think i'm going to stop drinking but think i'm going to be a bit more aware of how much i drink or I'm, maybe this is the point where i get help but yeah i um i went i went to a party and again i was drinking in secret and the next the following morning i woke up and i just didn't feel right and i was sick and it was it was blood um so i you know i remember my sort of felt like my soul had left my body seeing this blood coming up because uh, i knew that was really serious I actually thought that my liver was shutting down and I was th throwing up my liver weirdly because I wasn't I wasn't sure what was going on and then I was sick again and then my partner took me home I went to bed for a couple of hours and I was really lucky because people I I was drowning in my own blood I woke up felt okay and then was sick and then it that was when I just couldn't stop being sick and it was it was blood and what what I remember 
thinking I've not had any alcohol that morning. I've not had any food. I've not had any um, water. So everything that's coming up is just blood. And there was lots of it. That would have been terrifying. It was horrible, yeah. Oh, I feel my chest's hurting just thinking about the fear, the fear you must have been feeling seeing that in the bowl. Like, yeah, I don't like no one likes throwing up, but like seeing your blood and knowing that it's just blood coming blood, out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My gosh. Um, Aaron, I'm so sorry that that happened. Oh, uh, I did it. So thank you. But it was my own fault. Um, I'm lucky. I'm so, I'm so lucky. You know, it's, I, I was chatting to a nurse. She follows me. She said she used to work in the department that deals with, um, you know, um, digestive, they call it digestive diseases, which is where they deal with alcohol problems and things like that. She said that she saw people die from it. So she said, you know, do you realise how lucky you are? And I've, I, you know, I do realise I'm lucky and want to make sort of something of my life now and help people. And, um, so just going backwards slightly, when I was in hospital, they um, they had to um, put me in uh, like intensive care for a couple of days. They had to put tubes down my throat to stop the bleeding. What had happened was they call it um, ruptured varices, which is basically um, veins in the esophagus that come off of the liver. And because my liver was so badly damaged, the pressure from the liver was so high that it did these veins had just burst open so that instead of pumping blood around my body they were just pumping it into my esophagus you know my throat into my stomach and they said there was i think it was seven veins that had burst when they they helped well when they saved my life yeah um so that i remember the next morning waking up thinking god this is serious they said that i would had a blood transfusion um, and they needed to give me another one uh, I guess still part of me was in denial, but but every, you know it felt like every ten minutes someone would be coming over, taking blood, taking my blood pressure, my temperature, giving me pills, uh, you know, putting me on a drip, changing the drip, asking how I was, um, telling me not to try and get out of bed. Um, it was awful, and because as well I was going through a detox, um, I was a bit delusional I remember some of the things I was thinking that I thought was normal at the time or talking to my family about I remember asking the nurse if I could go and sit in the waiting room because I wanted to move to a different whilst they moved me to a different ward because I wasn't like the ward I was in and at the time I was I was so serious about it and she was just like yeah yeah we'll try we'll try and now I think god <laughs> they wouldn't you know I, I couldn't you know I was I was full of tubes you know and things like that it was horrible because as well I I was so thirsty for water, but because of the damage I'd done internally, they said I couldn't have anything to eat or drink in case it damaged and made me bleed more. Not the same, but I know I was in hospital once and I wasn't allowed to have any water, but they would let me, maybe it was my dad even, I can't remember who it was, but I just remember that they weren't allowed to have any water, but they were allowed to have ice blocks in their mouth. Were you allowed to do anything like that? Yeah, they they gave me um, like a sponge on a stick. So they would dip this sponge in a, in water, like a kitchen sponge, yeah, but very small, and then um, a bit like a, uh, you know like cheese on a stick sort of thing, and then put it in your mouth, and like I would have, I wanted about a thousand of those, you know, I wanted to drink a whole pint of water, and they said no, you're on a drip, that's you know you don't, you're not thirsty, you know this will help ease your, you know thinking that you you want to drink, and I was just thinking oh, I just feel so horrible. And that, that was when they started, everything was sort of going downhill every day. 
um, saying this, you know, this is wrong. Um, your blood tests show that you've got severe liver damage. It's not looking good. And I suppose being in hospital, I had a lot of time to reflect. But um, going back to what you said about when did it all get better, that that was the point where I realised I had, you know, I had to change. I had to get help. I had to admit I had a problem. Um, basically restart my life. Um, at the time, I was vegetarian. I wasn't vegan. So my diet was pretty poor for a vegetarian. Um, lots of cheese and eggs and things like that. But gradually they, they got me back sort of on my feet and it was a very, very long process, um, you know, over a year until I actually felt better. I was still being sick sometimes, still had trouble walking. Yeah, so I had lots of, I was loads of medication, trips to the hospital, trips to the doctor. Um, it just, uh, you know, alcohol had, was taken over my life and now it was you know getting off alcohol that had taken over my life yeah so your liver it wasn't it still wasn't functioning when you were when you were discharged from the hospital so you were just sent home with a pile of medications yes yeah, so i was in hospital for two weeks and then when they left things had, got, had improved and enough for me to to come home um i don't actually think i was ready to come home because i felt very faint I've, again uh, my my whole um, personality was that I was going to go out and carry on living life normally. Um, sometimes I would leave the house and feel like I was going to pass out and I'd go out for something to eat and would throw up afterwards because my body just wasn't ready for, for food and things like that. Um, and yes, yeah, so I had, I had a biopsy which confirmed that I had cirrhosis of the liver. Um, and then about, three years into my uh, recovery of being sober they said they wanted to try a fibro scan um have you heard of a fibro scan no it's, it's basically if it uses um like radio waves that go through your liver and it shoots them through the liver and it can tell how much uh you know how coarse the liver is and how much damage is done um it can tell it can detect how much fat's in the liver how much is scar tissue etc um, and the doctor sort of went was went through the test with me, and she said, you know, this the score starts from zero. If it's like four, we would be worried. If it's twelve, it's really bad. And then she did the test, and she, and I said, what's the results? And she said, it's seventy five. And I said, what? And she she said she went, that's the top. And I was like, what do you mean? And she went, that's the worst, the worst possible score. And she went, it doesn't go any higher than seventy five. So again, I was thinking, I, you know, I've been sober for a few years. Um, still vegetarian, um, trying to sort of be as healthy as possible. 75. So she said yeah. four was bad. 12 is... 12, 12 is like serious. Serious yeah. and 75. Yeah, so, oh, um, Aaron, you must have been <laughs> so upset hearing that. I like, was, what, yeah, especially what, as I've been sober and thought... You've been sober know, for three years at that stage. Yeah, no alcohol at all. None at I was all. Very, very lucky because most people, or from what I hear, go to Alcoholics Anonymous or support groups. I felt, although I did go to, I had to go to rehab for two weeks, um, which was sort of part of my recovery, I suppose, that the, my doctor recommended and the hospital recommended. Um, but I felt that I could do it myself. Um, I didn't want to be, I didn't want it to be like a label. You know, I didn't want to be the alcoholic. I didn't want it to define me. So I was lucky that I didn't go to these groups and things. And then 
I have more tests and I have to have scans, etc., because because of the damage I've done, I'm I'm high risk of um, tumours and things like that because of the cirrhosis, and also I have to have uh, a camera down my throat tw- uh, twice a year just to see if there's any bleeding or any signs that there could be another uh, ruptured varicose. Um, anyway, a year after the scan, I went back to have another one. Um, and again, obviously, a year's a long time. And she did the scan again. And I said, is it better? And she said, it's 75. And I said, you're joking. She said, no, it's 75 again. And I was thinking, okay, this is like, because I try and be as positive as I can. And I thought, okay, this isn't good. And then and then moving right on to um, veganism, I was sort of watching a couple of things on, on Netflix about plant-based diets. And um, I found it unbelievable how these people were sort of curing diseases and some people said they'd have cancer they've got rid of through going a raw vegan and things like that. I was really sceptical being a vegetarian because I thought, you know, I've got to have cheese and eggs for the calcium and for the protein. And then I watched another documentary and I thought um, the first documentary was uh, Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead. And then I watched one called Forks Over Knives so I was thinking, well, I'm not in the best of shape. I'm going to try it, you know, for two weeks just to see if, if all this hype, you know, about how good you feel, et cetera, is right. So I, I started to try it, eating very basic things like, you know, rice and vegetables and salads, um, not realising that you can sort of veganise most things. And I enjoyed it so much and I felt better. I stuck with it. And then when I went to back to the hospital to see the specialist, they weigh you and everything. And, and he said, he was like, wow. And I was like, oh, what? And he went, you've, you've lost uh, about two stone. And uh, he said, your test results are amazingly good. You know, you, you, your blood pressure's down, your cholesterol's normal, um, the weight loss is great, that's going to help with everything. And he said, you know, I've really noticed your skin's clearer, your eyes look brighter. So I was thinking, not only do I feel great on this diet that you know a specialist is confirming how with tests that things are looking good so he then said we'll do another fiber scan so this is probably a year after the last one that was 75 i was hopeful but not really hopeful but i was amazed and so it had gone down um to 39 which is yeah oh my gosh yeah. like it's it's still crazy above 12 <laughs> it's still, yeah it's but, still really bad but, but oh my god i'm so happy for you that it went down to almost half because it didn't move before that and you were just blood no, was yeah. just full of eggs and cheese <laughs> yeah 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 just, <laughs> it's just oh, blocking everything oh, so, um, i'm so happy so for that you. was like Thank you. Yeah, so I had lots of people complimenting me, saying how well I looked, that I'd lost weight, um, I had more energy. Um, and then as, and the more, I think with most people that go on a plant-based diet, you do your own research into it. And that's when I found out about sort of the, the cruelty behind eggs and dairy and things that I didn't really, really even acknowledge as a vegetarian, thinking that, that there was no issues with eating those. Um, so it's a whole thing of like feeling better within yourself and then you feel better because you're helping animals and you're living a cruelty free lifestyle and then the whole environmental thing. So you think, wow, this is amazing. And not only, not not only all these amazing things, but my health is getting better. It's the best. Learning those other two things really made it so much easier for me and many of the guests when you're doing it for you and you don't have that greater feeling about yourself, it can be a bit tricky to go plant based just for you, but when you when you make the connection to the animals and the planet, it it just feels so right to tick three three things 
at the same time, you know, take your health yeah. off, take the animals off, take the environment off. And this, it's just such a rewarding feeling to know that, like, you feel like you're selfishly making yourself feel amazing, but you're also giving back to the planet and the animals in a really substantial way. People always think of a, as a vegan diet, giving stuff up. I always say you don't give stuff up. You just swap it for a plant-based version. And maybe some things, you know, aren't as good as what you've had previously like maybe a vegan steak's not as good as a real steak but it's still good um if you don't you know if you can't find a steak that you like then what else do you really like that's vegan you know eat more of that i just think there's there's so many ways around it so that's my my whole um sort of social media thing is sort of showing the variety of different foods and products available and, and things you can eat and then skipping on so um, my last test that I went for was, was stopped because of the COVID-19 outbreak. But before that, I had another fibre scan. So it had gone down to from 39 to 30. And that was in a year. So I'm thinking, wow, so it's really going down now. Um, the doctor said, if we can get it down to 20, then um, although that's really, really bad, she said that's sort of something that, that they can focus on and um, because uh, in the early days they were saying, you know, we were looking at a liver transplant in six months. Um, we're looking at possible um, problems with your kidneys and things. And, and so many things they told me um, that were going to go wrong or that I had wrong um, just got better on this plant based diet. Like I had like I had loads of red um spots on my face and they and I they said oh that's uh, they call them spiders I said no they're, they're just spots and they said no they're spiders they're burst blood vessels uh where your liver's not working properly and they said oh, unfortunately that's going to be there for the rest of your life they all cleared up so that was a bonus and it's just um just things like my reactions are quicker you'd think like when you think of vegans you think oh they're lacking protein and calcium and things like that but my nails seem to grow faster than ever my hair's like grows thicker faster um so it was all good um and you know, I, I could i could feel it because some some people say oh yeah these documentaries they say all these things but it's not true and i'm like yeah but i feel it myself that's like the biggest test for me doing it and my sister since went vegan my mum's mostly vegan and she's like they both had similar sort of things with their health um, like my mum had eczema that cleared up she used to have a lot of reflux problems that all cleared up so there's just so many you know so many things I think that's why people say oh why do vegans always go on about it it's because you want to tell everyone how great it is and they should do it <laughs> you want to scream it from the rooftops yeah. like who wouldn't want to I you know I couldn't feel my legs yeah and now I can feel my legs I can feel I go to the bathroom of course you want to just tell everyone oh you know how you're feeling awful well so was I and now I don't yeah. and why, why wouldn't you want to try it? Like you say, probably there's a few things that don't taste as good, but there's 20 other things that taste great. So just eat those. Yeah, it's like some of the cheese, like people will say, oh, I can't give up cheese. And some of the cheeses are terrible. I'm not sure like, what the cheese like there some is. Some of the cheeses are terrible. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, so, but some of them here now are amazing. There's one that's, that's come out, applewood cheese. It's like a smoked cheese and it melts and it, it tastes like cheese. It looks like cheese. Probably not as strong in the flavour. But I think if you're going to put that in a sandwich and you add some pickle and some other stuff, you're not even going to know the difference. Definitely. I think that those kind of – not that I'm a big eater of – I don't really eat many much vegan cheese because for me it's not great for my multiple sclerosis. No, but I mean, yeah. For people who are wanting to make the switch as a transition food for the animals and the environment and for – 
I say, and if you're wanting your partner to get on board and your family member and your parents and you're having a dinner party, I like getting out those vegan foods that I know are going to get people to to stop stop saying, oh, but I can't give up cheese. And you're like, well, this cheese exists. Or there's vegan ice creams on sticks at the service station now and there's this and that. And, you know, you don't have to drive to some health food store four towns away you know there's actually food just regular food at your regular supermarket these days yeah talking about like the not so healthy the foods that aren't so healthy i sort of try and eat as healthy as i can so like whole foods like wholemeal flour wholemeal breads uh, i avoid white pasta white flour um, sugar I try and limit as well things like that and when I had my last scan um, where they said it had gone down to 30 um, for the the stiffness of the liver which is like cirrhosis and one thing I was amazed about was they'd never really spoken to me about it before but she said my fatty liver disease had completely gone so all fat deposits in my liver had now completely cleared up um so I think that that's amazing because if you look at what I eat it's not a low fat diet I don't restrict the fats but it's good fats occasional occasionally you know the burger or the vegan cheese and things like that but i think well you can do i think you can do this diet and you don't have to be so strict of eating low fat you can have the occasional bit of vegan junk food and it's still doing so much good for your body Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, when we make the switch to a different non-animal, non-animal fats and non-hydrogenated processed ugh, fats, you're definitely going to feel a massive, massive, massive difference, especially when you're also not drinking alcohol at the same time. Yeah. So it's incredible. It's incredible what you've accomplished, Aaron. So where can people follow you? Where are you? Where where are you on social media? Where can they look for you? Do you have a website? Where can people go check out your stuff now and be inspired on their own journey? Uh, my main account is Instagram, which is Aaron called a vegan. I'll just spell it because it sounds it sounds so weird. Uh, it's uh, so it's double A R O N C A L D E R vegan. So Aaron called a vegan, and uh, my website is uh, Aaron called a vegan dot com. Uh, which has got all my YouTube channel and everything on there. Um, but if you could, I've noticed if you if you Google Aaron Vegan Double A R O N Vegan, it does come up with some of my stuff. So if you ever get stuck, which is better the spelling? I'll put the links in the show notes for everyone. Oh, so thanks. if you're listening, just <laughs> click on there wherever you found this episode. Click more or wherever it says. Click to go op- to open up the the link, and you'll get taken to the show notes, and you can find all the information about where to follow Aaron on social media and his his website and all those things. So if you've missed it, we can rewind, but you can also, <laughs> I'll mention it at the end again and, Thank you. and also in the show notes. When um, I sort of spoke about my story um, and was in the sort of uh, paper and things like that, a lot of people contacted me with questions. So I've got a page on my website about sort of my diet and my journey just for people that have got any questions and if anyone wants you know wants to directly email me for for any advice i'm really really happy to help oh thank you that's awesome it's an awesome resource for everyone hopefully i always think if if um it helps just one person you know maybe someone was listening to this thinking oh you know maybe i do have a drink problem you know i've i've experienced having shakes or you know i've hidden alcohol you know it it at the, these i think 
once you see the early warning signs and it doesn't mean you are going to end up like me but i think it's just it's just something that you can think you know i'm just going to be a bit more careful or i'm going to go and talk to someone about it i'd like to add as well that you'd be surprised how many people when you do talk about it don't think of it as a like a down and an out thing i was always scared to tell people that you know if i about drinking because they would i thought they would presume i was you know like a on a park bench or you know beating people beating people up or you know things like drinking um weed killers or something like that <laughs> random things but yeah once once you talk to people i guess it's like mental health it it, it, it once you start opening up it it gets you the help that you need Yes, it's a great, great, great point to make. I think a lot of people do hide away these kind of things in shame. I guess like, you know, you're telling in this story that you did for many, many, many years. And that once we talk about the thing that we're frightened of talking about, often it's not as not as not received as badly as what we think. And it actually helps us just unpack what's going on for us and and get the support we need. Yeah, I do as I said, I I still have sort of uh, as you said as well you still feel guilty about things or sometimes I have bad dreams and I think I need to talk to someone about what happened in that dream because obviously there's issues there or even um you know the people that we feel we've lied to in the past explaining to them why we did it trying to you know being extra nice to them now making up for it in Alcoholics Anonymous I actually went to Russell Brand had it before just as Covid started he was here and he did a stand-up, which is basically just him taking the whole audience through AA, the 12-step program. So he just did the 12-step program with us all. And he, he at the I didn't do this because I didn't know about it, but he asked the audience members to share something that they've done that they feel really bad about. And some, some people did, like, write, they must have written on the website, and so he had printouts of their answers, and then, like, he read them out, and they were often atrocious. And asked people if they, if they were willing to stand up and own the the horrible thing that they'd done when they were drunk, or you know, to avoid to, acknowledging that they were drunk or whatever. Um, and I was, it was surprising people did actually stand up and say, like, you know, I did this, whatever it was, it was awful. But it was what I liked about because I did the overeaters anonymous they have they've taken like all of the aa and put it to people who can't stop eating <laughs> can't stop eating junk food and or any food i did that and i wrote to everyone that i'd hurt and it was really cathartic some some people from high school and some people from lots of parts of my life some people just like like it wasn't a problem for me but i could see that for other people they were like you know grateful but it did feel like such a release like a cathartic release just to have said all those sorries to all those people who my low self-esteem and my eating and my shame had hurt along the way like just writing to every single person that that relationship with food had touched in a in a shitty way it was really really useful so i did i personally really benefited from that and i know a lot of people in the aa not that you're in aa but in the aa program do say that there's a there's a healing in just letting it getting it off your chest so it's not just like a, a weight at night when you're going to bed thinking oh my god and then i said that to that person and then i did that to that person and oh my gosh and then you know like for me i would just cycle around with those memories which i didn't i didn't enjoy having 
and you, as you say, you'll be sometimes you'll you something you feel so bad about, you can talk to someone about, and they'll be like, "Oh, it didn't even bother me," or and you think, "God, why have I let that affect me for so long?" I know, I know. <laughs> like, people I wrote to from like year eight when I was like thirteen, and they're just saying like, "I never worried about that at all," and I was, I just wrote, well, I, you know, I felt really bad about, <laughs> I felt really bad about it, so. I'm so sorry. I'm glad that you forgive me because now I can let it go. Yeah, it is awful. And I guess on that subject, like, what would be three things that you, where you are now, would suggest to people who are either, maybe they're not as significantly impacted by their alcoholism as you were, but they're somewhere in there and it's not feeling great. What would be your three biggest pieces of advice? The three biggest pieces of advice would be the three things that I didn't do. So that would be, or it took me ages to do. So that would be, um, number one, you have to admit that you've got a problem. Um, you have to admit it to yourself, which is probably the hardest thing. Um, and then you have to admit it to others or, you know, to some, you know, someone professional like your, your doctor or a counsellor um, to seek the help. I couldn't have people say to me I'm strong for getting through it but I couldn't have done it on my own I I needed people to talk to so it was not only admitting that I had issues and problems but also sort of handing over a huge part of my self to other people and letting them in to to help me rather than putting lying and putting a wall up saying I haven't got a problem I don't need your help if I hadn't have done that I would be dead absolutely yeah so I guess being able to be vulnerable, because that's what you're really saying is yeah. you're protecting yourself with your alcoholism, saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, because you don't want to be vulnerable and let people know that you're broken in that moment and that you need yeah. support. Yeah, and, and it's it's sort of like with alcohol and drinking, you, although you're not, you feel in control of your life because you control the drinking where you think you do to, to a certain point. And this is completely letting go and saying, you know, I'm not in control. Uh, I do need help. Um, this isn't right. Um, I am drinking too much. Um, and there's no shame in it. There's no, there's no like, whether you're drinking a bottle of wine a night now and you think, I don't want to drink a bottle of wine. You know, you might, it not, might not be making you ill. You might not be anywhere near as bad as I was or getting to that level and you may never end up there. But if you're not happy with it or, you know, it's, it's that, it's the point or the moment that you think something isn't right. Which if I'd, if I'd have done, you know, I, I did try and seek help. But if I'd have seriously done it, you know, years ago, I never would have got to this, to the point. Um, now, and, it's, and it's important as well to say, even though my diet has um, 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 dramatically improved my health, I'm still very ill. I've still got cirrhosis of the liver. I still have days where I get extremely tired. I have problems with my memory. Um, so although it's like a really nice story, it's it's still there now and I still have to deal with it every single day. Um, so that's why it's important that, you know, you, you do get help from others. Yeah, that's such a powerful message, actually. Such a, such a powerful message because we do think, oh, well, I'm not as bad as him. Yeah. Um, I'm only such a, you know, a small amount. But, you know, you were 75 and now you're down to 30 and that 30 is still significantly impaired. Yeah, that's, that's still you're majorly high. Yeah. yeah, so number two, what would the second thing be? I guess would be patience patience and believe well I suppose that's two things but yeah you have to things aren't going to happen overnight if you relapse don't think oh I've relapsed I'm going to you know 
I'm giving up. I can't do it. I'm going to drink every night now for the next month. Think, well, do you know what? I I messed up. Um, I'm going to try my hardest not to drink the next night. If you if you do drink again, you know, it's all about about the sort of conscious thought and the effort, or you know, putting it out there to try and change change yourself. And also for anyone that is in recovery, you know, it's it's not an overnight thing. For me, it's every single day. Almost sometimes it's you know every 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 hour of every day. There's something that that links me to it. Still, it's still there all the time. But I have to be patient, and um, it's very important as well. Not to. I always used to get very overwhelmed. So with patience now, I if I start overwhelming myself, I think I have to stop slow down be patient and take a step back so i might be thinking oh, i've got to do a do a podcast oh but i'm going out in the evening how am i going to fit it in and i've got to do that for work and all of a sudden from me feeling good about a podcast i might be feeling overwhelmed about how i'm going to manage the rest of my day so instantly i i have i have to recognize that and sort of think well you know what if i can't go out in the evening i can't go out in the evening what's more important and and you sort of you organize your life as I said earlier, selfishly, because you, that's how you have to live. Well, that's how I have to live anyway. Um, maybe selfish is the wrong word because maybe it's not selfish because it's... Well, you're kind of self-prioritising in a way that actually conserves your health and yeah. <laughs> prioritises your health, which I don't think is selfish because I think that it's necessary. And if you can't, if you're if you're empty and depleted, then you're much more likely to go back to the habits that got you here in the first place. Yeah, I realised before when I was drinking a lot, I was a very anxious person. So avoiding those situations um, is sort of the best the best way to stop any triggers of getting back there. Yeah, and what would be your third thing, Aaron? The third thing would be about veganism. I know a lot of people are sceptical about it, a lot of people think they can't do it I didn't think I could do it I didn't think I would ever give up cheese you know I do as I said I do have vegan cheese but I don't have a huge amount of it um but it's all about um just giving it a go and I suppose it's a bit like patience you just have to give it a try uh, and as soon as you know it's all it's steps so I always think if you stop you know you stop having milk and you start having soy milk or almond milk or rice milk and then you get used to that and then you think, well, I'm going to cut down on my meat and then you cut down on your meat and then you think, actually, you know what, I'm going to go vegetarian. And then you think, I'm only going to have one egg a week now. And then over time, say, you know, a few months or something, if you don't feel that, you know, if you felt it was hard, you, you'll look back and you think, God, do you know what, a month ago or so, I thought I couldn't do any of this and now I'm not eating meat, I don't have milk, I'm having less eggs. And I think that's how I've noticed a lot of people transition into it. I think people think you have to do it overnight or you have to be perfect perfect at it when you don't. It's just, it's all about just trying it. And what, as soon as you start seeing the, the health benefits and you start doing your own research and seeing how how your diet affects you physically and mentally and, um, you know, the animals and the planet, et cetera, you start to, you go on this sort of journey of where you think, well, do you know what, I don't, I don't really want to consume those products anymore and I'm feeling great and, and then before you know it, you're 100% plant-based. It's a surprise. You always feel like <laughs> I, I didn't know how it came to be that I would end up a vegan when I loved everything in a Bay Marie, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, 
It's good. Yeah, I never thought I'd be vegan either. So. No, no. I think I don't think anyone does until they are, and then everyone's like, "I never could be in us." In your, I always just think, "Neither could I." All right, like I yeah. loved everything. So I'm sure I'm certain that I'll. Yeah, I always just think whenever anyone says that to me, I always just think, "Well, talk to me into you. I'll, I'll see you. We'll see if you're always." committed to never being vegan because often people who the people who say it the most are the ones that I often find oh, yeah. to become vegan and I'm yeah. always just blown away because they were so com- committed to their belief that they would never be and then a few years later they are and I just think never say never yeah trying the foods as well a friend of mine she said she goes to, she always goes to the same restaurant has the same burger she said that I'd inspired her to try the vegan burger and she actually preferred it to the meat burger that she'd always been having. So now she has that. So it's all about, you know, trying, you know, if she'd never done that, she'd still be having the meat burger. And, you know, now she's having a a vegan burger and she's told me that she's, you know, she's stopped having milk and dairy products. And so it's all, it's all great. It's all a journey on the right path. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on the show and sharing Thank that you. story with us. Like, I really, really appreciate how honest you were about really difficult topics and conversations that are really hard to have. And you were so honest and brave. And I know that your story will help so many because we just don't live in a world where... Well, number one, where we're not surrounded by reasons to form addictions because they're everywhere and now we're in a a global pandemic and people are drinking in excess more than ever before and people are taking up drinking more than ever before and, and your story is really, really, really needed because I guess one of the main things I love about your story is that you give people a space to admit that they're also not doing that great. Yeah. I think that we, like like you said, you, you want to hold, everyone wants to hold it all together and to be seen to be holding it all together. But most of us are just walking around faking it and we're not holding it together. Yeah. And you're giving permission for other, pe- other people to say, actually, I'm not holding it together. I haven't got it. Everyone's got something going on, whether it's, you know, eating problems to debt, to gambling, to drinking, to drugs you know depression um so by by talking about it i you know not only helps you might get them to open up a bit more as well about what's going on in their lives absolutely thank you so much from the bottom thank of my you. heart it was it's lovely meeting you and i hope that you can and still you. make it out tonight <laughs> 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 thank you thanks a lot take care i will you too thank you so much aaron for coming on the show and sharing so openly about your journey with alcoholism and where it has taken you. It took so much vulnerability and just bravery to come on this show and share what you shared with us today. So thank you so much for doing that because every time we share stories like this, we allow somebody else to find hope within themselves, to find courage within themselves, to Take a step, a brave step forward to share with somebody else, to talk to someone, to open their hearts, to allow themselves to heal. So I'm just so deeply grateful to you for being a bit of a beacon of hope today, especially in this climate that we're in at the moment. So thanks again, Aaron, for coming and sharing with us. And thank you all so much for listening. And I hope wherever you are and you've listened to that, 
story today that you have someone that you can talk to, that you can look for support services in your area, that you can go find a doctor that you can work with. Like Aaron said, you know, you don't need to do this alone. In fact, it's almost impossible to do these kinds of transformations alone. Every single guest on this show had people to support them. So if you don't feel like you have a good team of friends and family around you, you know, perhaps link in with Alcoholics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous, if you're me, link in with support services, doctors, professionals in your area, counsellors if you have. If you can't afford them, try and find free, free support services. Here in Australia, I will link some, but wherever you are in the world, I hope that there are some. If there's not some, message me and I'll see if I can find some. I'm a heat-seeking service missile because that's my social work background shining through. Love to help if I can. So message me and I will try to help if, if you need help to get some support for your own issues with alcohol or substance use or food addiction or whatever it is for you. I love you all. Please take care of yourself. Look after yourself. Check in with people. Open yourself up if you need to just pour out all of the blur that's inside your chest that's keeping you awake at night um, in a safe place where you feel supported and that you can trust that person to hold the space for you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to head over to Aaron Calder Vegan on Instagram and aaroncaldervegan.com. Links will be in the show notes. Talk to you all next week. Bye. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier day